welcome everyone. Such a delight to see all of you here in person. And we're still getting the technology up. So it's a delight to hear all of you who are online, even though I can't see you. I'm just looking at a camera. But I can imagine there's a lot of seeing all your faces. And uh, so really, thank you for being here as we begin to do this exploration of exploring these different spaces that we might find as being a home for Flagstaff Insight Meditation Community. And so really grateful for us to join together today, both in person and online, so we can get a sense of what works and what doesn't. And also when we begin, uh, the way I wanted to frame this was to uh, offer a talk series, kind of a similar theme of just as we're trying to find a place to really reside as a community, how do you find a place to reside that's deeper and maybe different than where your heart and mind can habitually reside? And, and I think that's the, uh, the place I want to begin with is maybe like me, that maybe you've noticed too how your heart resides in places that don't serve you well. You ever notice that? Am I the only person? <laughs> And, and so I'm wondering, you know, for those of you in person, maybe just popcorn style, and if you're on Zoom to put in the chat, where do you find your mind residing at times that isn't so helpful? Like for me, it can be worry. Anything else come to mind where you find your mind or your heart residing where it's habitual? Say again? Judgment. Judgment. Yeah, thank you. Confrontation. Confrontation. Fear. Fear. Regret. Regret. Yes. Planning. Planning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> the next thing. The next thing, right? The future thinking. Thank you for that. Yeah. Confusion. Confusion. Anxiety. Anxiety. And I'm sure just as we begin this, there's all kinds of other things. It can be that internal thing. It can be the external things we go to, whether it's social media or the Netflix binge or whatever it is, where it's like my mind has habitually found these places to reside that really don't serve me in my life. And I think one of the, the reasons for me this path has been so powerful is I can really frame it that way is what I've gotten from this path of the Dharma is uh, beginning to find a different place to abide, to reside. It's like, I still have the same problems you can say and the same challenges in some ways. So what, what's happened is, is discovering this deeper place to reside, which for me, given this short life is, is so important. And I think that's why this path is, is so close to my heart. And that's what this three talk series is going to be about. It's going to be about abiding. And I'm going to be talking about just this, this uh, activity of finding a deeper place to reside. And then the next two times, probably specific, more specific places, places you could say that we reside. But I want to begin with the, the Pali word, Pali being the early scriptural language of Buddhism, 
the Pali word for residing, because it's interesting. The, the word is uh, viharati or viharati. And, and, and just like the word reside can have different meanings to it, uh, viharati can have different meanings to it. it. Just like reside, it can mean kind of where I'm residing, I'm living or I'm hanging out or staying in a particular location. For example, in these early discourses, these early texts, you know, sometimes the Buddha is hanging out. He's, that's my translation, mm-hmm. staying. He's living in Jetta's Grove and not the Pindus Park, or he's, or he's staying at the, uh, at the Vulture's Peak, or he's, he's living with the Kurus in this town of Kamasadama. And it's that word, Viharati, he's, he's residing there. And it can, it can also be used um, not only a physical location, but you could say the heart, where the heart is residing. So viharati, like there's one, one passage where it's talked about where uh, someone's residing in delusion. And the way delusion is used in Buddhism would cover so much of what we're talking about. Often I'm residing in, in, in worry because there's a delusion in my mind or the planning, or the obsessive planning, or the obsessive what's next. But it also has these positive connotations, like one can reside in the Brahma Viharas. The word Vihara is abode. So one resides there. And for those of you who've come here a lot, we, we do that at, after, towards the end of our meditation, where there's uh, we're learning to allow the heart to reside either in kindness or compassion, or appreciative joy, or equanimity. And you might notice if you've gotten a taste of those, they feel really different, don't they? And wouldn't it be cool to live our lives where that was more of our homes, of our hearts? It's a place to reside, viharati, to abide. And it's not only that, it's also in things like one hangs out, one lives in one's ethical integrity, which I'm going to say a little bit about or one hangs out, one abides in samadhi when the mind's collected. And then this word viharati is used so often around mindfulness. So there's this discourse, the four foundations of mindfulness and one dwells or abides being mindful. And the reason I wanna slow down with the, this word is because it intrigues me especially around mindfulness and also an ethical integrity. Like, isn't that an interesting word to use? That this is a way to describe what it is to be mindful. It's a way to describe also what it is to be ethical because this is not the way I understood being ethical to abide, to hang out. I grew up Catholic. It felt very different than that. <laughs> and and the first dimension that I, I, I find so intriguing about abiding viharati is this this one dimension of it it gives this feeling of resting into settling into abiding and i think it, it speaks to this path as a whole to begin to can you begin to rest into settle into this path path and these practices So I want to point out just in terms of uh, also the location piece, right? When when the Buddha is Viharati at Vulture's Peak or, or Anattapindaka's Park, he's no longer traveling, right? He's just settling down. And I, I, I think this is why I wanted to combine it with this because 
our community, what we're trying to do is find a physical location so we can have a place to settle in the midst of the hustle and bustle and complexities of our lives. And I think that's one of the things that I'm really longing for, I think in a wholesome way is, is having that place in person and also to carry along all of you online so that we're creating the space together. And it has this deeper sense, as I was saying, of, of different places for the heart to reside. So there's this one discourse where the Buddha, he's having this conversation with this practitioner by the name of Mahanama. And Mahanama uh, says to the Buddha, you know, you know, us practitioners, our hearts and minds, basically he says this, our hearts and mind, minds dwell in all kinds of places. You could say like the list that we began with that we kind of created together. But Venerable Sir, where do you suggest that we dwell? And again, he's using this word viharati. And one of the things, at least in this conversation that he shares with Mahanama is to abide and to reside, to settle into ethical integrity. And when I slow down with that, what I realize about that, and I wanna say how broad ethical integrity is on a Buddhist path. One is, is like coming here to learn about meditation and, and, and uh, this path is part of ethical integrity. It's this desire to show up in the world in a different way. That's a super cool thing for our troubled world. And how it can be different than some other spiritual traditions is what's important is to notice how good it feels to do something like this. And not only that, to feel good about oneself because one is doing this. So it's the sense of like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm actually a pretty good person. I'm okay. I kind of like myself. Not only do I kind of like myself, I love myself. That's the importance of ethical integrity that I can start to have this sweet relationship with myself to feel my own goodness. And so I, I just wanna uh, point out what a cool aspect of this path, of this invitation, can you begin to rest into, to settle into, to abide into liking yourself, loving yourself? Because it feels so good. And for me, it's a radically different place to abide. Like you mentioned, right? Judging. That's where my mind likes to go so often. Others are myself. This is a different place. It feels deeper. And it's something, it's a kind of abiding and resting that can happen throughout the day. So that the same conversation with Mahanama, uh, the Buddha says to Mahanama, you know, you should you should be uh, engaging this, engaging in this while you are walking, while standing, while you're sitting, lying down, while you're busy at work, while you are resting in your home, crowded with children. I love that. And it shows just as a physical space, the way it works for our community is to, to etch out a place for us to come together that's protected from some of that hustle and bustle. What would it be like to find that place in your hearts where you can be in the home crowded with children and it's still there you are connected to yourself. You find that, that abode that's deeper. 
what would it be like to 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 abide there, to like yourself, to love yourself in such circumstances? And I share this because what I notice is I show up so differently with others when I'm settled in myself. It's so interesting just to track that. When I when I feel good about myself, when I like myself, even with all my imperfections and all the mistakes I've made, I show up differently with others when, when I can abide there. And so I, I do think there's something powerful about learning Viharati in this way, of resting into, settling into, abiding in, loving yourself. And I want to point out that there's an invitation to really do the same thing around one of the core practices that we're doing here, to be mindful, to be present. It's, it's the same thing to rest into, to settle into. And just when I say that, doesn't it give a different feeling of presence? Like we're here, what would it be like just to rest into to, to being mindful? to settle into it rather than, okay, I have to pay attention to the breath. And then when the mind wanders, I can bring it back. And then it's gonna wander again, which is gonna irritate me. Then I'm gonna bring it back. The invitation feels different, doesn't it? Let's just take some time to abide, to settle into presence. And right now, whether you're online or in person, can you start to feel that? Just if I invite you right now to begin to settle, to feel the body. It's not like you have to do anything special, right? Here we are. There's the body. Here's the sound of my voice coming and going. Maybe you feel the breath in there. There it is. And sometimes it feels like that to me. Like even when I'm, the wonderful thing about giving talks is like, I can hear myself giving myself these instructions and it's like, oh yeah, it does feel good. (laughs) And what it feels like for me is it feels like I'm entering deeper into my body. It's like, oh, oh, here I am. Ah, there's not any efforting. It's like, there it is, presence. Can you get a little bit of a taste of that when I invite you to rest in presence? This this is so important to learn the art of mindfulness, the art of presence, is to get that feeling of resting, abiding, settling into it. Because sometimes there's a subtle kind of efforting that can complicate it. Reminds me of these first lines of a, a, a poem by Jane Hirschfield, where, where she says, only when I am quiet for a long time and do not speak, do the objects of my life draw near. It's, it's only when I'm, I'm quiet for a long time and do not speak, do the objects of my life draw near. Have you noticed this in your life? When you're quiet for a long time and you don't speak, it's like the objects of your life draw near. You start to hear the sound of the birds more, the rustling of the leaves on the tree. Even the sound of the cars whizzing by can sound different. It's like they draw near in in, in such a different way. And why is that? Because I'm learning how to reside, viharati, to settle into, to abide. And in the Zen tradition, there's uh, sometimes the language is a little bit different, but it, it feels like it evokes this. 
the Zen master Dogen, when he's giving instructions in a fascicle on uh, his kind of instructions on meditation on Zazen, it was just two sentences of, of how he described it. He says, stop searching for phrases and chasing after words. Instead, take the backwards step and turn the light inwards. The resting and settling for me, it feels like that. It feels like I'm taking a backward step rather than a forward step. Because so often in my life, it feels like I'm in onto the next step, or as you said, the next thing. It's like it's almost like bodily. Oh, can you feel taking the backward step right now? And can you notice how it feels like it's a different place? And often what, what can happen is it's like, oh, this space starts to feel different. Whatever space you're in, whether you're in online or in person, the, the space you're in starts to feel different. Like it's like I'm in a different world right now. So it has ramifications for the physical space I'm in. That's what I love about this word, we are a tea. And also I think there's some other things to remember about this. There's a, another discourse the Buddha and Mahanama having another conversation. And Mahanama, it kind of sounds like he confesses this to the Buddha. And he's like, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, there's times in my life where I'm walking around um, Kapilavatu, you know, and it's, it's such a crowded and busy city, Kapilavatu. And what happens is here I am walking about around Kapilavatu. Remember, this is 2,600 years ago. At times, like I'm confronted by a wild elephant that's untethered in the streets. Or there's a horse that's running around the streets that's untethered or a chariot or a cart that's been less let loose uncontrollably. And when I'm confronted by something like that, I forget all about this path and this practice. And the Buddha's like, seriously, don't worry about it. <laughs> And I so love that this is, you know, in the discourse is basically like the Buddha is saying, you're going to forget. You're going to forget what it feels like to take the backward step. You're going to forget to reside. That's just part of it. Right. The elephant is going to be careening down on you, whatever that is for you, whether it's the worries, the anxieties, the, the, the stressors. But can you have a vision for the long arc of your spiritual practice? It's just gaining momentum when we can and then trusting that. And that's what the Buddha says, says to Mahanama. Listen, actually, Mahanama, you've been practicing so long. Don't worry about it. There's a momentum in your life that you can trust. And I think that's so important, as, and if you've known in meditation, to keep your eye on that. Because there's going to be so many meditations where we're just lost or we, or we forget you know, how we want to show up in the world. So we need to abide also in, in trusting this path and our practice in that way. It's going to happen in, as far as that goes. I also want to point out there's another dimension, at least for me, that intrigues me around abiding. And that's to remember that when the Buddha goes to like Anattapindaka's park or he goes to Vulture's Peak, he does have to travel there. He has to travel from away from the place where he's usually residing and go to another place. 
I need to remember that that too is part of the practice, especially for my heart. I'm going to find my heart residing in that list that we we shared. It's going to be in, residing in planning or worry, whatever it is that's going to happen. And then I need to do the traveling to the deeper place. And, and I, because I think this is part of the uh, discovering a deep, deeper place, different place to reside is remembering that. It's, it's like this injunction that you've heard around meditation, which often is about, you know, being with whatever arises. And I want to say, if being with in meditation gets understood as merely residing in the same old unhelpful habitual places in the same old way, that's not going to be very helpful. It's about discovering a different place. And the cool thing about this path is discovering the different place is so close to my habitual place of residing. Super close. So, so close. How close is it? For me, at least the first place is it's the simple recognition that my mind is residing in that old habitual place. It's just that small turn. Oh, there it is, worry. There it is. And then it it starts to feel like a different home. Oh, oh, I'm still feeling worried, but then there's a recognition that the mind's taking it as, as, as one's own. There it is again, planning, judging, and judging again. Yeah, I'm judging myself again and again. Oh, interesting. And there's the different place of, of residing. And I want to point out, it, it, I know it's so small, but it's so significant, is to start to have, have that, that, that repetition of learning to make that small turn. That's what I like about the backwards step. It's just a small step. And then there's recognition of what's going on. And yeah, I want to be clear. If your meditation's like mine, there can be times where a good amount of your meditation practice is just falling back and being lost in those old unhelpful habitual patterns. That's that's the terrain that we're in. That's normal. But then there's moments where you find a different place to reside. And those are super significant, even though they're so close to what's been going on before that. And what I want to point out, though, is that while residing and recognizing, you're going to notice that there are other flavors there that we want to start to become aware of. Like, oh, there's some okayness this time. Oh, I'm not as reactive around the worrying. Oh, worry's okay. Whatever. This is what the mind does. There's another aspect of that home. There's patience. There's a little bit of softening rather than bracing around, for example, the self-judgment. Do you hear how there is a kind of traveling into this other place that we need to discover so we can reside there? This is the movement of the heart to find a a different place to reside. There's a a poem by the Zen poet Ryo Khan uh, called Caged Birds, which I think really talks to this. He he says, uh, again, he's talking about caged birds. And so imagine here he is speaking to these birds in a cage. And he says to them, time and again, You too must long for your old nest deep in the mountain. 
You ever feel that longing? Time and again, you too must long for your old nest deep in the mountain. Do you, like those caged birds, long to be free from whatever cage your mind and heart has created? Wouldn't it be cool to find your old nest deep in the mountain? That's what Dharma practice is about, isn't it? It's just about finding that old nest deep in the mountain. And there's one word in there that I think is uh, really important for this residing too, which is part of the traveling. And that's to long for. So yeah, it's going to sound like I'm giving you contradictory things. I'm inviting you to settle, to rest, to abide. This is so important for presence, for this entire path. But I also have to long for it so that I can remember to rest and settle. Because it helps me step out of the habitual places that my mind ends up in. And I, I do use this. This is maybe just because it's been alive for me the last couple of weeks. I've been meditating in the morning. So, <laughs> so this is why you're hearing about this. Is sometimes before I formally sit down on my cushion here, I it's it's great to feel the longing of like, I really want to get that deeper taste of being present. And I, it's like, I remind myself like, okay, I'm worried about this in my life and that in my life. I'm irritated about this, but so what? There's something more important in my life to be than to be obsessively hooked by that every morning. Even the big things, the big challenges that create fear for me to be like, you know, my practice is this important. Is it really worth my short life to reside in those habitual places? I got to remind myself it isn't. And I do like to remember my life is short. I'm going to die. Where do I want to reside? And I wish I could tell you each time I do it, no worries arise from that point. No planning. I'd be lying to you if I said that. But it, what it does is it shifts. So even if there's worry still coming, there's more of a like, yeah, I want to feel into this dynamic, feel it in the body, have a different relationship to it, which is finding that different place to reside. And, and the kind of the clarity of aspiration allows me to be with the worries when they arise. There's more patience there. There's more softening around it but I need to allow my heart to long and I need to train it to long skillfully so I can find the deeper nest, the, the old nest deeper in the mountain. It's, and, and, and I find this really important for the challenges that are, if they're not haranguing you now, that, that are going to. This is part of the human predicament is to have this aspiration and to allow the heart to fall in love with discovering the old nest deep in the mountain, to fall in love with this path of the Dharma. This is so important. Like I, I, I think, should I say this? I think, I think sometimes mindfulness has become, because it's become so popular, uh, just a kind of daily mental health hygiene thing that a lot of people do, which is fine. Um, but there's so many deeper elements to it. 
but it, it, if there's not the longing, it's not going to have the de depth to it. So for example, I want to point out, and I'm not advertising this for my dentist, brushing your teeth daily is a really good thing for dental hygiene. It really is. <laughs> but I am not so interested in falling in love with my toothbrush. It just does not have that kind of depth and dimensionality for my life. And I hope my hygienist is not listening right now. You know, I mean, I am still brushing my teeth just so she knows. So, so just an invitation, if, if mindfulness starts to become like a toothbrush in your life, I want to say that is okay. And yes, there's something so much deeper that we can touch. But it requires my heart to fall in love with a path that has depth to it for that to happen. So may we, may we all begin to reside and abide in this, in our old nest deep in the mountain that carries us along on this path. So thank you. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.